I think the general waking up that I'm seeing around me in so many different parts of society, people from all walks understanding that this is here. It's not a future threat, it's active now. We need to get smart about addressing it. And there's a deep approach. A lot of people are asking themselves, how can I be of service? What can I do at this time? How am I gonna be? And the more climate job boards and networking communities and sites of bringing people together to do that work of figuring out how they're going to go on their climate journey while infusing it with a sense of joy, with a sense of how can we make this fun? How can we reshift so it is not just focusing on the negative, but really focusing on what we want to be building and what is abundant and the better life that we're working towards. All of that gives me an honest sense of hope. You know, I see that reflected. I see real people doing real things and changes in their life. And I feel it within myself. And all of those things are just great. It's possible to have high well-being, high meaning, high engagement with things that matter and that are purposeful and ways of cultivating, nourishing emotions around all of those things in an increasingly turbulent world. We can do that. So even as the systems around us change, if water becoming more scarce, let's say, or food scarcity, climate disasters ramping up and migration crises, there are lots of things that we can do within ourselves to stretch our capacity to be caring and continue taking action for the present moment. So I'm helping to spearhead an initiative for the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, working together with UNESCO, the UN Education, Science and Cultural Organization, with the Ban Ki-moon Center, and with Pope Francis and the Vatican on an initiative for Target 4.7, that everybody should learn sustainable development. I'd like students in every city in the country, in every village, to work on how their own city can be sustainable, their own village, and go meet with the mayor. This is what should be done. Because the truth of the matter is, so many adults are completely irresponsible, or they went through school without learning these things. And so the young people will know better. We need young people who are well-trained, who are well-educated, ready to take on leadership so that we can actually solve 21st century problems and not use 20th century mindsets. This conversation truly moved me and provided me with a new sense of bewilderment towards the natural world. It was really lovely to have a conversation that deeply intertwined the beauty of the animal world with the impacts of climate change on it the resilience of animals and how they manage to adapt to situations that they should not have to. The injustices of what the animal world has to go through in response to anthropogenic changes. The damage we humans are doing now is occurring on a devastating scale that is entirely avoidable. Often, we humans see ourselves as the only beings capable of having a meaningful life. I think this helps us justify the changes we make to the natural world. So, I'm an explorer. I love the beauty of the world. I've seen fantastic things like the delta of the Ganges River in the Gulf of Bengali during a moonlight. I've seen the deserts with the dunes, with the rocks of the sunrise with my solar powered airplane. I've flown above oceans where there were whales jumping in the water and the big bunches of dolphins when I was flying with solar impulse. It's beautiful, but it's not enough to motivate people. And don't forget one thing, what we are damaging is not the beauty of nature. What is damaging is the quality of life of human beings on Earth. Because we can still have beautiful things to see, but if we have a climate change, if we have tropical disease in Europe, if we have heat waves, 
floods, droughts, millions of climate refugees. Life will be miserable even if nature is still beautiful. I've loved the earth since I first understood its vastness. Since I first ran barefoot in the grass, exploring textures of the crunchy leaves, squishy mud, and soft moss that supported my feet. Since the first time I climbed a tree, seeing the world from a bird's view, understanding truly how small we really are. Since I took my first earth science class where a tiny piece of the infinite information about the earth was presented to me. I've loved the earth since the first time I remember taking a deep breath of fresh air and feeling myself be healed. I've grown to appreciate Mother Nature for her strength, her power, her beauty. She stands for cooperation and care, a thoughtful and valuable role model for humans. She is dominating yet gentle, feminine, cooperative, graceful, wild. She is dancing, she is art, and she is knowledge. I believe there's a moral code ingrained in the natural world, but it's somewhat been overrun by human nature. A natural moral code is the only reliable moral code that exists because the others are subjective and they can easily be distorted and misinterpreted. For me, it's easier to trust nature in determining those certain basic moral codes because they can be referred to abstractly, especially when other larger issues ensue. If such a large portion of the world lives in water stress, then one way we must do that is by using our creativity to come up with solutions to provide that access of clean water to everyone. As Pablo Hoffman described his childhood love of plants growing into a mission of nature conservation, it made me think of my own life living in a very different environment from Hoffman's, in New York City, an urban center with parks and botanical gardens, but also thousands of skyscrapers and mounds of pavement. Hoffman sees plants as a lens to contextualize himself and humanity. He values the strings that connect humans and nature and recognizes the possibility of failure for plants not to grow, not to thrive. He asks people to recognize these fragile connections to place significance on the ecosystem that keeps the world fed and functioning. We as humans interact with this ecosystem. We gloss over how simple yet complex our world is. We rely on this ecosystem to live, yet the majority of the population doesn't recognize or understand its interactions between animals and humans, pollinators and plants, when these chains hold the key to life on Earth. As a global community, we are eager to push to the future to explore, to create. Without a true understanding of our world, we are seemingly destroying the processes that allow us to survive. It seems unfathomable that humanity would lose itself in its greed and innovation, but like the Greek myth Icarus, we may be flying too close to the sun. Humanity can work together to rebuild the systems we have broken. The natural world acts as a source of solace. When life gets stressful, nature has the ability to ground me. When I lack immediate access to it, I look towards visual art. I find myself lost in landscape paintings created by artists who share the same goal as me, to find the calm within a bustling world. And that's something that I would want all of the next generations to have, in some way or another, to have the ability to access and be amazed by how staggeringly beautiful, complicated, awful in some ways, and just brutal the natural world is. But then really sit and think about how the natural world just gets on and does it. It doesn't need interference from us. It doesn't need us to design particular space. It just does it. And I look out the window and there's trees that are just doing their thing without any interference from us whatsoever. And they're doing it in such a beautifully connected and inclusive way that they're supporting each other and every species is benefited from everybody else. 
and you could remove humans from that equation and nature would just carry on doing its thing. So that's what I would love for people to see and to realize is that nature is so incredibly beautiful and diverse and so are we. So how can we take the beauty and diversity of the natural world and actually learn a lot more and stop thinking we're separate from nature because we are all part of that same biosphere on the planet. Most of the time, the Earth's atmosphere feels empty to me. That is, when I think about the physical space between objects, between my strands of hair, for example, I conceive of this space as empty. But when I visited California's Sierra Nevada mountain range for the first time, the atmosphere felt full, like it would burst. The air in the Sierras was transcendent. My first breath of it unlocked depths of my lungs and soul that I didn't even know existed. The air was cool, pristine, and infused with fresh pine. Suddenly, space was made of stuff, and it was remarkable. For the majority of my life, air has played a completely overlooked utilitarian role. It was no more than an odorless, invisible source of oxygen. Traveling to different parts of the United States has shown me that there are different types of air. Air can be a prism. The most dramatic sunset I ever witnessed was in Los Angeles. It was red and fiery, ignited by smog that distorted the sunlight. After the sun had set, the night sky was bereft of stars. Air can also burn. Wildfire season in the Bay Area made my nostrils, throat, and eyes sting. It clogged my lungs, canceled school, and threatened the long-term health of farm workers in California's Central Valley. Air can kill, too. 9% of all people who died in 2017 died from air pollution-related diseases. Poor air quality has shortened India's average life expectancy by 5.9 years. So, clean air can bring joy, awe, and beauty. But it is also a human right, one that we must work hard to preserve. I was thinking about the environment and the earth and what it means to me. I thought of nature as something that is too kind and won't ever ask for help. It won't be able to ask for help because nature doesn't have a voice. The heart of nature beats within, as it trickles with the waves, the whispered sounds, even the wind. One foot sinks in the dirt, the other accidentally steps on its toes. Everything feels connected, alive, the relentless flow. And it's so kind, too kind. It gives away too much. A girl could ask for its rose. The trees would bend down, shake off its fluorescence, and ask her if she wants more. The loud noises could start, the metal all around, the greediness cutting at their legs, the paper green, and they wouldn't make a sound. The flowers sighed to the sun, the trees dance in the night, and I swear I hear clapping coming from the moonlight. So I go to the forest, I stare and I awe. Because of everything against them, I want them to know, I hope they live on. I believe we have so much to learn about love from our planet. Earth has always provided. It has always nourished not just our bodies, but also our spirits. And that, to me, is a form of love. Nature is so giving, and Earth Day is our opportunity not just to appreciate that, but to take inspiration from it. First of all, don't despair. Climate anxiety and climate depression are very real things, and they're hard to deal with. But you won't be of any use in the fight against climate change if you've already given up. It's so common to get bogged down from the news and media pushing stories upon stories on us about the destruction of climate change, carbon emissions, the impending doom of the planet. But start to do your own research. Find out about the new technology that exists. 
that's being created to help combat this issue. There's so much new technology that's already been created to combat this issue. It's almost impossible that we will not solve this crisis. Second, don't be so hard on yourself. I keep seeing that the little things that you do, like eating organic or recycling. I keep seeing the media push this narrative that they matter and they're the only things that matter. If you are an imperfect sustainability advocate, then you're not an advocate at all. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not true. These big companies are pushing this narrative because they want to shift the blame of emissions somewhere other than themselves. The Carbon Majors report states that 100 of the world's companies are responsible for 71% of the world's emissions. Systemic change doesn't only lie in whether you choose to eat beef this week, but it also lies on changing these business models. And the easiest way to do that is to use technology that's already been created and make it easier to access and easier to attain. Keep making the small changes in your own life, but don't forget to fight for the large-scale changes at the same time. Talking to Lars Chitka was really interesting to me because it offered an entirely different perspective on bees. Really opened my eyes and got my imagination going in not only how they're different from us, but also why they're different from us and why they've evolved that way, and how these animals that we think of as a hive mind aren't necessarily always that. And I've actually written a poem about bees that I'm going to read. We will move together in all we do. We are the fingers of one body that we must sustain. We are all the same. We, all the same, are crowded in the dark. The mind of the hive doesn't belong to just one. And when we build our home, we will grasp hands. Construction, so geometric, the only straight lines in nature. All the same, we venture to and fro out to danger and back, the dark busyness of home replaced with soaring colors. We are still geometrically inclined to symmetry. We are all the same in that we are not. You will remember better. You will protect better. You will build better. You will be faster. You will be smarter. You will go farther. I will try my best. We will all dance when we return. Ticker tape. We're too sure of ourselves, I'm sure. We talk like we know everything until it falls down, it crashes, it burns. So take a ticket, get in line, just sit and wait your turn. Black Tuesday, we're down 12%, or at least that's the latest word. Chickens run in circles with their heads cut off, or so I've heard. Where will you be when it all comes crashing down? Will you leave fear behind and sit amongst the trees and watch the flames engulf all that you can see? There's an intrepid essence in the air that we breathe. It runs, but never hides, and it tends to move in threes. Everything ends up the way it was meant to be. For when everyone is at ashes, for an urn, there is no need. Because when all is said and done, we are simply dirt and debris. It is young people who carry the climate crisis on our backs. We have seen the earth change in front of our very eyes. And we are the ones forced to face this existential crisis. Our climate goals have been laid out in front of us. We know what we have to do. But what stops us? What stops older generations from helping the younger ones? Why do we live in a world where our futures are put on the line so that oil companies can continue to kill everything that makes up this beautiful planet? Young people have the power to take the leap, but we can't let fear stop us. I'd like to play a song that I produced, which has given me solace in this time. Music for me is an escape, as well as an outlet for the things I find difficult to express with words. 
The song that I will play is a Yiddish song entitled Dizun Bet Avuntergen, which means the sun will be setting. The song speaks to the cyclical nature of life. The lyrics say, the sun will be setting behind the mountain, in silence approaching, then love will come softly. To sorrow that sits on a golden stone and weeps for itself alone. The living world is enormously enriching to human life. I think that was the first thing that I felt. I don't think I articulated it that way, but I just loved animals. I loved all the different things they did, all the different ways they looked, how you can never know enough about them. They're always just totally fascinating. I think that was the first thing that I learned. And the only place in the universe where we have detected living things is this planet. Are there living things elsewhere among the billions and billions and billions of stars? Quite possibly, but life is at least extremely rare because everywhere people who've spent their careers looking for it, they have not found any. So we tend to take living for granted I think that might be the biggest limitation of human intelligence, is to not understand with awe and reverence and love that we live in a miracle that we are part of and that we have the ability to either nurture or destroy. Thinking that we are the only ones emotionally processing and understanding the changes means that we only have to be responsible for our own emotions. We don't have to consider the thoughts or emotions of other beings if we don't think they exist. Knowing that animals create meanings and are capable of emotion adds an extra layer of complexities to the changes we're forcing the natural world through. It also adds a new layer of awe towards the natural world. To know that animals, such as whales, create bonds with each other, that they are able to recognize each other's voices and always travel with the same pod, is so beautiful. They look at these really existential questions about the roles humans should play in the world. Because the extinction of many species is really an existential question for us as well. Is this who we want to be in the world? Is this the space we want to take up? What do we value? How do we change? Although the average person's individual actions will not shape the fate of the planet either way, we must all reconsider our values and mobilize to preserve the planet and all its wonderful species. <laughs>